This morning I'm speaking on a topic that has very particular application for our life as a congregation, but it's rooted in a reality that affects every one of us. It's a reality that begins from the moment we are born. Because you see, we are born into families. Because babies cannot look after themselves. True? And from the beginning, we begin in the need of those who will lead us and care for us. Mom and dad are really important. Thank God for mom and dad, right? And so when we uh, consider the matter of leadership, we're talking about something that God has rooted in the very fundamental way that he has created us. So when we talk about eldership, we're really talking about something that is part of the continuum that God has established all the way back in Genesis. And you'll know that one of the Ten Commandments, number five, is honor your father and your mother that the days that your days may be long in the land that your, that your God gives you. And Let's recognize that uh, when we're praying that, we're actually, or when we say that, we have the opportunity for recognizing and praying, Lord, help me to respect those that you have placed in authority over me. That is really fundamental. So yes, we need leaders, but we also need to respect those leaders, otherwise the dynamic doesn't work. What's the point in having leaders if you're not going to follow the leader? And so we end up in some dilemmas. A number of years ago when I was serving as district superintendent, a particular congregation that will go unnamed, because this is not a particularly glorious moment in the history of this congregation, the uh, pastor resigned, the associate pastor resigned, and then they had three power boards, three leadership boards, and uh, they could not agree with one another. Mistake, don't have three leadership boards. The only people that were providing glue for these three boards were the pastor and associate pastor. They resigned, they're gone. What do we have? Chaos. Chaos. And the elders, for whatever reason in their wisdom, decided to resign a mass. Then they decided to replace that particular uh, group with uh, another group that were kind of elders, but they called them different. And now they still had three squabbling groups spying for leadership. How well do you think the congregation was doing at that point? Uh, terribly well. And of course, they asked me to come in and help sort things out. Lord, help. <laughs> and so I brokered an agreement with the chair of each of the groups so that we could move forward and have a united direction. And one of the chairs sabotaged them. So I came back the next week. We did it all over again. And guess what happened? That same individual sabotaged it again. 
So I came back, and I said to this man, I won't name him, I said, you and I have a very different understanding of what integrity means. Because you see, when you say yes, it is supposed to mean yes. Well, this time he took it to heart, and it allowed us to move forward and to find a way through the morass of this rather complicated leadership structure. And then, of course, we have the congregational meeting. We know all about those things, and we know sometimes that is where the most ungodly ways of conducting ourselves happens. Unfortunately, that's true. Somehow we want to leave Jesus out of the equation at the very point where we need him the most. And so, anyway, we're having this meeting, and now we're having squabbles because they can't agree on a definition of elders. If only we define elders this way, everything will be perfect. And if we only define it this way, then, no, no, it will really be perfect. And what I pointed out to them is, to some extent, the name doesn't matter. What is important is that you have a godly group of individuals who are recognized as leaders that will lead the congregation. So we're going to talk about elders today, because as you know, for some time, we have been looking to increase the number of elders in this congregation. And so we are looking at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now, interestingly enough, the New Living Translation, this is the problem with translations, already obscures the underlying text. And if you look at the footnote where it says elder, there's actually another word that underlies it. And so you'll see on the screen, there is a somewhat different translation of this first verse in 1 Timothy. Here is a trustworthy saying. In other words, Paul is saying, this is really important. If anyone sets his heart on being an, you see the word? Overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, if anybody's reading the King James, the authorized version, what does it say? Bishop. But you see, bishop is simply the word overseer. And in fact, if you know what your epidermis is, what's your epidermis? It's this layer that's on the outside over top of your body. Epi, scope. Can you see it? Scope. What's scope got to do with? With seeing overseer. Look at that. And you wonder how in the world do you get bishop? Well, if you, if you know anything about the way... Uh, words are said, that's actually the same word. The uh, P becomes a B, the, S-A, the SK is, is uh, an SH, and the P is still there, you see? That's actually the same word. You can't see it? No? You believe me. Well, that's good, but it, it's actually the same word. It's, it's interesting how these words kind of, these letters kind of mi- migrate. And so you might say, well, is this passage really about elders? And this is thankfully where Titus, without having to over-translate or translate away, actually makes it really very obvious. Because you see, Paul is interested in setting things in order in Ephesus and in Crete. 
He sends Timothy to do the one, Titus to do the other. Here's the instruction he gives to Titus. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders. Now, we also do crazy things in English, so we bring the Greek word over in English as presbyter. Same word. And in every town, as I directed you, and then he goes on to say, an elder must be. And then in verse 7, he says, an overseer. Oh, look at that. He's using both. Hence why the New Living Translation over-translates in 1 Timothy and wipes out the underlying overseer. The important thing is to recognize that here the Apostle Paul is talking about the uh, top layer of leadership that God has appointed for a congregation. There is one more word. We've seen the word overseer. We've seen the word elder. The other one is shepherd or pastor. Because pastor is just the word elder. Again, English is wonderful because we multiply terms for the same thing. An overseer, the word focuses on oversight. Elder, of course, is about supposedly being older, hence more mature, hence wiser. Doesn't always work that way, but it is that intent. And so, do we know the word alderman? Alder is actually elder. Same thing. We just do weird things with letters and words. So, elder, shepherd, overseer. The, the emphasis in shepherd, of course, is on the kind of metaphor that we have of the shepherd caring for the sheep. And so the Lord Jesus in John chapter 1 says to Peter, feed my sheep, look after my sheep. There's one more term in the New Testament, hegemon, that is not used in a technical way. And then there is the deacon. Did you see that deacon actually survived in the translation, the New Living Translation? The underlying sense simply means a servant. But you'll see in Philippians chapter 1 that Paul is writing to the congregation and to the overseers, that is the pastors slash elders, and the deacons. Chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, as we saw, deacons likewise. In other words, there is a quality of character and uh, Christ-likeness that is fundamental to whatever place of leadership that we're talking about. The roots of it, of course, are in Acts chapter 6, and we'll come back to that in a minute. Now, what do we do here in Huron Chapel to make sure that we keep everybody thoroughly confused? What we do is we call pastor, pastor, but as you can see, pastor and elder is actually interchangeable. All right, so your pastor is an elder, right? And then we reserve the term elder for, as it were, the lay elders, the governing elders. Now, there is some justification for this distinction between those who are the preaching elders and the lay elders in 1 Timothy 5.17. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is what? Preaching and teaching. Now, you know that if you've been uh, elsewhere in uh, Christendom, that there are different ways of formulating this. 
So, for example, some groups, the, they reserve the term elder only for pastors, and then those who are the board are called deacons. I don't know quite the history of this congregation on, on this side, but uh, it does get a little confusing. So what we want to do is kind of cut to the chase and say where we are now at Huron Chapel is that we are, in, in effect, having a, a two-tiered eldership in which we have governing elders that we elect as the board of elders, and one or more teaching elders, that is, the pastors. That's where we are, so let's make it work, all right? And in order to make this work, we do what is always important. If you're having trouble as a baseball player with your hitting, what do you do? You go back to basics, right? So where are the basics? Well, they are in the Word of God. So we look at what it is to be an elder in the Word of God, and we follow that. So it isn't up for grabs as to who becomes an elder. It is, in fact, laid out for us the kind of qualities that are important. But essentially, it's people of character, deep faith, good reputation, who manage life well. That's the reality. For deacons, much the same. Key difference is found in verse 2 of 1 Timothy 3. Apt to teach, able to teach. Now, if you have ruling elders or governing elders, you've kind of flattened out the difference between deacon and elder. But deacons are not intended to govern as such, but rather called to assist. So let's look at the qualities that were read for us by uh, Elder Gary this morning. Above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, manage his own family well, children obey and respect, and not a recent convert. There you are. There's your list, right? So when we are looking to discern who ought to be an elder, this is pretty good guidance. There's a like list in Titus. It's about the same length, not exactly the same wording, but you'll see it's much the same thing. It really summarizes itself in a very clear way. Character, solid, anchored faith, respected. Now, let's also appreciate that if we take a checklist approach, it won't necessarily get us where we want. When we do checklist approach, we might have somebody that you can have everybody check off the list, but it doesn't get to the heart of the matter. And so we need to go back to where we see the leadership being selected in the very first church in Jerusalem. So in Acts chapter 6, the apostles were having some problems, problems with success. So because of their success, they had a lot of widows. And you appreciate that the welfare system was not quite what it is in Ontario. We may complain about it here one way or another, but let me tell you, if the, you didn't look after your own people, they would be in trouble and widows were particularly vulnerable. 
And you'll see that the apostles say to the congregation, Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be what? Full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility. This is about the selection of deacons, those who will serve at the, 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 uh, the widows. We will turn this responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. Now, sometimes we do weird things with what it means to be full of the Spirit. And we think that that somehow means somebody is going to be hopping up and down and uttering strange things. But let's understand that Luke uses this phrase. Paul uses it exactly once in Ephesians 5. But full of or filled with is really about being characterized by the control of. So, for example, uh, Luke in writing Acts or in writing in the uh, Gospel of Luke will use a phrase like full of joy. What does full of joy mean? It means characterized by the control or characterized by joy or full of anger. What does he mean? He doesn't think about somebody, as it were, being filled like an empty uh, beaker. He is thinking about being characterized by that or full of leprosy. These are all examples, by the way, that you can look up in your own uh, concordance. Full of leprosy means what? means characterized by leprosy, okay? And so this is what he means. To be full of the Spirit is to be characterized by the control of the Spirit. Read Romans 8 and you'll see that that's what the nature of the Christian life is. Supposed to be. That's the normal Christian life. However, we also know that's not the reality. And so what you want to do is you want to be selecting those who will lead, who will direct the affairs of the congregation, who are in fact characterized by the control of the Spirit of God. So yes, read the list, but don't read it like a simple checklist. Read it in the context of a living relationship with the living God. And then you'll end up in the right place. Don't miss this part. Now, I just want to say one more thing about this list. And you'll see that you are to be of good reputation if you are a leader. Now, you know it does not take much to ruin a reputation of somebody. All that somebody needs to do is today, somebody decide that they want to start a rumor about you. It will mess you up pretty good, right? That's why we are warned repeatedly in Scripture about being careful of what we say. And also of the warning or the instruction in 1 Timothy chapter 5, do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's brought by what? Two or three witnesses. I mention this because we can easily subvert the process of selection, because somebody has said something, but it is not actually confirmed in the mouth of two or three witnesses. 
Does that make sense to you? Okay, let's be really careful of what we say. And again, to emphasize that sins of the tongue are very serious. So look at the list in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. He says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither is the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor, what's the next one? Slanderers! There it is. Don't be numbered amongst them. It's serious business. Nor swindlers inherit the kingdom of God. So let's be really careful about this, that we are wise in what we say. So bottom line, we are looking for people of good character, good reputation, well managing their home life, holding to sound doctrine, and apt to teach. For ruling elder apt to teach is, is of course, not emphasized as we've already indicated. Now where in the world do we get leaders from? We have a few people who farm here, right? And I think a few more who, who grow gardens. So if I plant carrots, seeds, Calvin, what am I going to get? <laughs> Calvin's no help. <laughs> he plants carrots, he gets weeds. All right. That's not the, Lord of, uh, that's not the law of the harvest. <laughs> Come on, help me out. Oh, okay, carrots, all right. Okay, the fruit of an apple is what? More apples. And you say, duh, that makes sense. This is stupid for you to even say it. Well, listen, we do crazy things when it comes to the whole area of discipleship and of leadership. You see, the fruit of a disciple is not a deeper Christian life or walk. The fruit of a disciple is another disciple. Okay? Now, let's understand that when we are raising our kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, we are discipling. Okay? That's really important. That there is some transferability back and forth that ought to help us to understand what we're doing. But let's also recognize that the fruit of a leader is what? Another leader. And actually, this is where we have broken down significantly. Our sister church denomination in Brazil raises all of their pastoral leadership out of the congregation because they have embraced this seriously. Where do we get our leaders? Well, we really don't know. We kind of beg and borrow and steal from elsewhere. We send out resumes and so on. It's important to... To, rec to do that, yes. But wouldn't it be wonderful if we actually embraced intentional leadership development? Now, I'm not going to be here long term, but this is really an important thing for you to contemplate and to maybe intentionalize. Intentional leadership development. Because this will create a harvest like you cannot imagine out of Huron Chapel. It's not that it's not happening. It is happening. But if we intentionalize it, it is so, so beautiful, so powerful. 
And that is how the church is growing so strongly in other countries, where they don't have Bible colleges and seminaries, where they don't just simply uh, take from another denomination, where they have to raise up leaders from the harvest. So I include that here as a bit of a, of a uh, side note, but it's really important along the way. So let's go to the selecting of elders here. Let's recognize that the apostle says that this is a noble task. This is worthy of doing. This is a trustworthy saying. It is important that we see elders selected. The elders really ought to be selecting the new candidate because it is spiritually discerned with prayer and consideration of Scripture. And of course, the people need to consent. And we do this by voting on them. In Acts chapter 1, we see the principle of the replacement of Judas Iscariot, where they bring two good candidates up to replace that apostle. And then the people decide by casting lots, by voting, in effect. Here is a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Every place where a new congregation was established, we read in Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas appointed, what? Elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. This is a serious and important task. Titus was left in Crete in order that he, they might finish the work and appoint elders in every town. Elders, leaders, are needed for the health and stability of a community of Christ. That's the reality. You want to be a healthy community? You need your elders. You need your leaders. That's part of it. Now, if you are asked to serve, you're being asked, to engage in a noble task. And there are some valid reasons for declining. Now, you may be aware personally of a knockout factor that simply disqualifies you, and you need to disclose this to the head elder or pastor and say, listen, there is a good reason why I really should not serve. And be, of course, open to counsel in that as well. Second is reason uh, is the reason for being elected as an elder is because you either have a personal or a factional agenda. You have an axe to grind. Friend, you should not be letting your name stand. Because it is not about simply advancing your agenda. It is about serving the people. It is about directing the affairs of God's congregation, you see? And of course, the Spirit of God may be directing you in a very different way, or it may be simply that you have too much to do, okay? But it may be that, that you need to choose, but make this a matter of spiritual discernment for yourself. Now, there are invalid reasons for declining, being afraid or intimidated, or I don't want the hassle. Well, who wants the hassle, right? <laughs> but on the other hand, it is a noble task. It needs to be done. And so, don't be afraid or intimidated. Don't say, well, I'm not perfect and I don't feel worthy. Who is? And 
Don't say, not everybody likes me, not everybody will vote for me. Well, guess what? Even Jesus did not get 100%. <laughs> but you see, these are the kinds of reasonings that are actually behind some of the decisions we make. True? Yeah. And I was thinking about Moses, too. Poor guy. I think he would have said, I opt out. Is this a three-year term, Lord? <laughs> But he didn't have a choice. <laughs> so anyway, this is important for the life of Huron Chapel. And so as such, when you hear the announcement and it happens again and again and there's no response, let's understand that this is not good. We need to be listening to the voice of God in these things. Now, I'm going to take you to one more passage that is really important for giving us some insight into the role of the eldership, of those who are in leadership, pastor, elder. It's in Acts chapter 20 where Paul calls the elders that he has a few years before actually appointed to give leadership to the congregation. And so in verse 28 he says, keep watch over yourselves. In other words, make sure that you are living a life in Jesus, that is honoring to Jesus, for Jesus, like Jesus, and in the power of the Spirit of Jesus, as we summarize the way of Jesus saying. Keep watch over yourselves first, and all the flock of which, what? The Holy Spirit has made you overseers, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. It is a noble task. It is worthy of being done, and being done well. Every society, every community has elders. We need elders here at Huron Chapel. One more passage that is really helpful, and this is Peter's word. The elder, presbyter among you, I, I, to the elders, presbyters among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. Be shepherds. Pastors of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, bishops. Not because you must, but because you are willing as what God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to, what's the word? Serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. This is a noble task. It is worthy of doing, is worthy of doing well. Serving Jesus, serving others. Amen? Amen. Now one uh, last little reference here. We're almost done. If the elders approach you, don't refuse immediately. If Jesus is calling you, will you really refuse? Think about that. Consider prayerfully and carefully for the love of Jesus. Seek the counsel of others. Seek the counsel of the elders, of your spouse, of godly friends, but take it seriously. And here's a final scripture which includes this matter of eldership. 
but really has to do with our life together. And so Peter says, above all, what's the next word? Love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Man, John up here is a beautiful guy, but I bet you I could find some reason to gripe about him. <laughs> anybody can find something wrong with anybody else. True, Gail? Absolutely. But in Jesus we know that our way of looking at people has to be fundamentally different. Instead of being fundamentally skewed towards the negative, it needs to be skewed towards the positive. Love each other deeply because love does cover over a multitude of sins. I've been married since 1974. How long is that? Long time. And I can tell you that my list of gripes and grievances about my wife, if I were going to focus on that, would be awfully long. Okay? Now, I'm not, she's not here to defend herself, but, but, but she would stand up and say, yes, and my list of grievances about my husband would also be long. But you know what makes it work? Love covers over a multitude of sins. It is true in our marriages, in our families, and in our life together as Huron Chapel. Offer hospitality to one another without, what's the word? Grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he or she has refused to do what? Serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, so here is something which I think is quite clear application to the pastoral role. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking what? The very words of God. If anyone serves, specific application towards the deacons, but it still makes sense for us all. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides. Does God provide strength? Yes. So that in all things... God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Can you say amen to that? Are you committed to that? So let's be praying. Let's be open. Let's, let's uh, practice spiritual discernment. And let's see the complement of our eldership grow and increase. Because it is a noble task. It is our privilege, our calling, for the love of Jesus, to serve Jesus, serving others together. By the way, this is the simple mission statement that the elders have landed upon and will use over the next six months as a trial to see how it fits. Can you say it? Serving Jesus, serving others together. Can you say it? Serving Jesus, serving others together. Louder, serving Jesus, serving others together. So when somebody asks, uh, what's here on chapel about? You can say, serving Jesus, serving others together. 
And when you are wondering what we're doing here, what can you say? We are serving Jesus, serving others together. It just might work for us. God bless you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for giving us the privilege of serving you. Now, Lord, you know that we've been speaking about something that has immediate and very practical application to our life together. And what we would ask, O oh Lord, is that you would grant each of us the spiritual discernment to know what you are saying and what you are doing. And there are some, O oh Lord, who should consider the noble task. And Lord, we pray that as the elders ask, that it will be carefully and prayerfully considered. And that, Lord, you will be pleased to grant, first of all, the blessing of new elders, but also the blessing of knowing that our house is in order before you. And Lord, teach us, O oh Lord, to respect those whom you have placed in authority over us. Beginning, of course, with our parents. Honor your father and your mother. But Lord, in every place, and thank you for those who have accepted the responsibility of leadership. And we bless them. And we want to make sure, O oh Lord, that uh, we support them and pray for them. Thank you, O oh Lord, for those who have served faithfully even through some very, very difficult times, through some very troubling waters. And we give you the praise and the glory that today you've been so good to us. And indeed, Lord, were we to simply stop, stop and count our many blessings, that would issue forth into an endless, endless song of praise. We give you thanks for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.